you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. We are going to finish up our, uh, our time in Colossians, this letter that Paul has written to this church. Uh, starting next week, we will dive off into our, our Christmas series, spend two, the next two weeks looking at uh, two elements of the Christmas season. Uh, one that maybe you've never heard before. Uh, I certainly haven't heard until recently as far as uh, this, this Christmas story. We usually go to Matthew and Luke, and actually there's a Christmas story in Revelation. And, uh, and so we're actually going to study that next week. And then, of course, Christmas Day, we will look at the birth of Jesus. And so it's going to be a great two weeks, as well as today's going to be great, uh, I believe. And um, if you were tasked to write a letter to a church... If, if God gave you the inspiration to write a letter to, to a church in a, in a city, in a state, in another country, like Paul has done here for this church in Colossae, how would you want to close that letter? I want you to think about that for a moment. What would be the last words you would try to impress onto this church? Typically, it's going to be something quite important. When you look at these letters specifically by Paul, that's all important, but there's some things that he's trying to drive home, some last bit of advice and instruction that he is trying to give to this church. Now, as I was, I was studying this scripture and, and figuring out, okay, what is the overall theme from verse 2 on to the end of the letter? And the Lord kind of gave me the idea, gave me the idea of the overall theme. And what Paul is really saying here is that he is showing us how to prepare ourselves to share the gospel. He, he is laying out this, this plan, and it's more obvious with the first few verses what he is saying, but then you see how he has a relationship with these other believers, and you really get this sense of how he has prepared himself to share the gospel wherever he has gone, even in the midst of the things that he is dealing with. Now, in anything in life, there has to be preparation. For a lot of you, before you got your job, you went to college and you studied your career, whether you're a teacher or, 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 or any other kind of, I just think of teachers immediately because we've got a few, but you go to college to, to learn how to do that. And then you go out into the world because you have prepared yourself to do so. Well, maybe you didn't go to college, but you entered a job, but you went through some sort of training to prepare you to be as comfortable as possible in your specific job. We've all been there. We've all had that type of training of some type. Today, I want to show us two levels of preparation. Two levels of preparation that we need to do as believers in order to share the gospel and to be comfortable in doing so. So let's go ahead and read Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. We're going to read to verse 18, and then we will look at what it means to prepare. Starting in verse 2, Paul writes this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse 5, 
Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, the fellow prisoner, greets you. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear with him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those of Laodicea and Aeropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give me greetings, sorry, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Agrippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you praising you for this beautiful day that you have given us. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house to worship your holy name. God, we have a reason to sing today because your son has come to this earth. To be the sacrifice. And as those who witnessed Jesus in his time as a baby, they left singing praises. And God, I thank you that we're able to do that today. But God, now as we read your word, as we study the last portion of this letter from Paul, inspired by you, God, speak to our hearts and what it means to share the gospel and how we can prepare ourselves to do so. God, we love you. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So there are two ways that I believe that we are to prepare ourselves in sharing the gospel. Don't worry, there's a third point. You can't have a Baptist sermon without a third point, so there will be a third point at the end. But there are two ways that we are to prepare. One is personal. It's a personal level of preparation. And then there's the corporate preparation. But let's talk about personal preparation first. Personal preparation. What is it that we need to do according to Scripture to personally prepare ourselves to go and share the gospel? First thing, pray. First thing, personally, you need to do is pray. Look at verses 2 through 4. Verses 2 through 4. Paul writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, and at the same time pray also for us that God may open to us a door from the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So the first thing Paul says in verse 2 is what? Continue steadfastly in prayer. What does that mean? It means to be persistent 
in your prayer, to be continuous, to be consistent. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul writes this to another church. Pray without ceasing. Some of your translations might say pray constantly. We must be in constant prayer and not just before, not only just before spreading the gospel, but in all areas of life. Everything we do as a believer should start with prayer. You should wake up each morning in prayer to the Lord to start each day. Be mindful. Paul says to be watchful in it, to be mindful of what you're praying and that you are praying at all times. And see, we, when we do pray, the reason we should pray and pray without ceasing and pray continuously is because when we pray, our eyes are pointed to Jesus. If you are truly praying to the Lord, guess where your eyes are going to be? To the Lord. Because He is who you're talking to. And when our eyes are pointed to Jesus, then our mind is filled with Jesus. And when you fill your mind with Jesus, that will in turn fill your heart. And from the heart, your mouth will speak. Matthew 12, 34. The last sentence of Matthew 12, 34 says this. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You start with prayer. And that prayer puts your mind on Jesus because He is who you are focused on. And from the mind, it moves to the heart. And from the heart, comes out of your mouth that which you are focused on, that being Jesus. You want to talk about Jesus to others? Your mind has to be on Jesus. Your heart has to be on Jesus. And let that flow out of your mouth. Now, I was a youth pastor for about 10 years. In my last church I was at, I had some students. There's some teenage guys that could spit out their favorite athlete stats. They could tell you their batting average. If it was a football player, they could tell you how many passing yards they had. I mean, they could just go to town. I guarantee you, you could walk in the field house to the football players, and you could probably get them to do the same thing. They could nail them out because they're defending their favorite athlete, while their favorite athlete is the best athlete. And they could do it with ease. And why? Because that's what consumed their lives. That's what consumed their lives. They could name all these things because it's what consumed them the most. And prayer as believers should consume our lives. And because of that, the result will be that God will be the topic of our conversation. You don't have to force God into your conversation. It'll just come out. We can talk about a lot of things. If you want to talk about Mississippi State Athletics, it'll just come vomiting out of my mouth, right? Because I consume my life with that. But shame on me if I can do all of that and yet still not talk about God. It's almost like I have to force it out of my mouth. It should be a constant flow out of our mouth. But it starts with how we pray. Not only does, does Paul say to continue steadfastly in prayer, but then he asks that the church would pray for them. Paul says, pray for us, he says in verse 3. Why? So that he can declare the mystery of Christ on account of which he's in prison, that I may make it clear with which I have, uh, how I should speak. 
Paul is saying here, pray for us that doors would open for the gospel to be given and that when he does speak, that the words will be clear. As your pastor, I'm going to beg you, as Paul's begging them, pray for me that every Sunday I stand behind the pulpit that the hearts would be open to receive the gospel and that my mouth, the words coming out of it from God, would be clear to the hearts of those who need to hear it. That should be your prayer every Sunday morning. It should be your prayer every day for your pastor. It should be our prayer for one another. That we pray that every one of us in this room who are believers could share the gospel clearly with others. Open your day with prayer and pray throughout it consistently. Second thing Paul talks about when we talk about personal preparation. Walk in wisdom. Right? You want to prepare yourself to present the gospel to someone? you got to walk in wisdom. Look at verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Making the best use of your time. Now this might be what drives our fear a lot of times. Maybe the fear for us is we just don't think we have the wisdom to understand the Bible like we should. Or we lack confidence in the wisdom we do have to communicate the gospel. But we must be mindful to walk in wisdom toward the lost. And in doing so, as scripture says, we will make the best use of our time. Walking in wisdom allows us to drive the conversation in a productive direction. And see, we use wisdom to speak. We use it to understand the person's circumstance. Because understand, when you're talking to somebody who's lost, they've got things going on like all of us do as well. And we need to understand where they're coming from to make the best use of our time and be able to respond to their questions or concerns they may have. But understand this, church. Wisdom only comes from God. Wisdom only comes from God. But understand this too. God's not hiding that wisdom and you go out there and search for it. Okay, I need a map. Where's the wisdom at? I need to find a guy. Proverbs chapter 2. Watch what it says. Proverbs chapter 2 starting in verse 3 says this. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth, come knowledge and understanding. If you will seek out God's wisdom, Proverbs says He will give it. He wants you to have it. Because if you have this wisdom, if you're able to walk in wisdom and communicate in that same wisdom, you will be able to share the gospel. You will be able to have the confidence you need to share it. And be confident in the wisdom given to you from God. If you are a believer, you understand the gospel. The, the, the reason you are a believer is because you understood what the gospel means. Trust in that. Trust in the Lord to help you communicate that. And speaking of communication... A third way to help us with our personal preparation is to let our speech be gracious and seasoned with salt. Look at verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. As you prepare to share the gospel, you must be mindful of your words. As you prepare yourself, be mindful of the words that you speak the thoughts that you even have towards that person. Let your speech, as Paul says, always be gracious. So many people get turned off by Christians because so-called Christians want to talk down to the lost. They want to kind of 
almost belittle them as if they know better than the lost. And yes, we do know the gospel better because we understand it and they don't, but that doesn't mean we belittle them. It doesn't mean we talk down to them, but we show grace. We have gracious speech, and that gracious speech is sympathetic to their needs and their concerns. Gracious speech cares for people. Our gracious speech, it says, should be seasoned with salt. And Jesus, you know, said, you are the salt of the earth. And the reason he said that is because salt gives flavor to the food, right? It enhances the flavor of food. But not only that, but we know before all of us had refrigerators, before there was any way of cooling food, a lot of people had to put their food in what? Salt. To preserve. And the greatest act of preservation is salvation, is it not? And if our words are gracious and seasoned with salt, not only will our words be enhanced, the flavor of our words will be enhanced, but it will also enhance the life of that believer and preserve their life into eternity. Be gracious. As believers, you know what grace looks like. It's what saved you from your sins. You didn't deserve salvation. You were given it by grace through faith in Jesus. Let your words be gracious and seasoned with salt. So that's what it means to have personal preparation. Pray. Walk in wisdom. Find it. And have your speech gracious. Let it be gracious. Let it be seasoned with salt. Show care and concern for those you are talking to. Now let's jump over to a corporate preparation. What I mean is this. What are things that we can do collectively as Madden Baptist Church to help prepare us to share the gospel? What can we do as a church to prepare ourselves together? Because guess what? This is what we are. We are the church. We are the body, and we're supposed to help each other. And one of the ways is to help each other spread the gospel. First way of corporate preparation, encourage others. Encourage others. Look at what Paul is saying in verses 7 through 9. Paul starts name dropping here. But in verse 7 through 9, he says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. What we are seeing is that Paul has encouraged Tychicus and Onesimus to go to the Colossian church and speak of the testimony of what God is doing through Paul's ministry and their ministries alongside. Paul has encouraged these two men to show what God is doing. And we are to encourage one another to do the same. We must encourage one another to share about what God is doing in our lives. Look, and in the way we do this is we understand one another. We get to know one another. Listen, we all got different walks of life. A lot of us have been through a lot of things that some people are just now going through. Like if you come across somebody that you know struggles with infertility... You can encourage me and my wife and say, look, I know this couple and they're going through this struggle. You've been there and you've seen God work. Can you talk to them? Can you share the gospel with them and show them that God still cares about them even in the midst of that struggle? For you, it might be something else. It might have been a sickness. It might have been a difficulty in your marriage. Whatever it is, you can use those difficult times to now share the gospel 
But we've got to know that about one another. Build a relationship with one another so that when we come across others who go through those same things, we can say, brother, sister, you've been there. I know someone who needs to hear it from you. Encourage. Just as Paul has encouraged these two men to do the same. And ultimately, when you have that conversation, it should lead back to the gospel. How Jesus Christ saved us. Secondly, if you want to have corporate preparation, you need to surround yourself with believers. You need to surround yourself with other believers that are like-minded. Look at verses 10 through 14. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner greets you. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received the instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, which is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those of Laodicea and Aeropolis, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. That's a lot of names in a, in a small section of Scripture. But what Paul is showing us is that he is surrounding himself with godly men who are on the same goal as him. He mentions Aristarchus, Mark, Jesus, who was also called Justice. Right, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas, and these men have the same goal in mind, and that is to spread the gospel to all the world. He has met these men at different areas of his life, but he understands that these men are on the same goal that he is, and he surrounds himself with those believers. There is nothing better than a community of believers. I hope you believe that. There's nothing better than a community of believers. We call that the church. And God designed us for that. He designed us for community. None of us are supposed to walk alone. None of us are supposed to be believers on our own. We have to surround ourselves with brothers and sisters who are like-minded with us, not only to encourage us, as we said earlier, but to also hold us accountable. We need our brothers and sisters to hold us accountable. Accountable that we should be sharing the gospel. I took a class in seminary called Supervised Ministry. And the purpose of this class was that we were supposed to go out and share the gospel. But we weren't just supposed to just go out and share the gospel. No, we had to write down our conversations. We had to be held accountable for our time. We had to spend time in gospel conversation to get a grade. To pass the class. And we were held accountable to do so. And because of that, from week to week, being held accountable, I was more mindful of the opportunities that were presented to me to share the gospel. And the reason I think we don't share the gospel as much is because we're not held accountable. When's the last time anybody ever asked you in your circle of believers, hey, did you share the gospel with anybody this week? When's the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus? You ever had that conversation? I have it. And, and we're surrounded by believers. And we're not asking those questions. We're not holding each other accountable to those things. Sure, we'll have classes on how to share the gospel. This message is about sharing the gospel, preparing yourself to do so. But we can have all the classes in the world, but if we're not holding each other accountable, what's it all for? 
We must hold each other accountable to share the gospel. Surround yourself with like-minded believers who have the same goal of sharing the gospel with this community. And if you will hold each other accountable, I promise you, this whole community will light up faster than you can realize. The people you surround yourself by matter. Not only should we surround ourselves with each other as the church, but we we should partner with other churches. Look at verse 15 through 17. Paul writes, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church at her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read that letter from Laodicea. And say to Acrippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Paul has asked this Colossian church to pass on his greetings to two other churches, one a home church and one an established church. And he also says, hey, share this letter, but also read the letter I wrote to the Laodiceans as well. These churches he is mentioning are in partnership with each other. Again, their goal of spreading the gospel. We must be willing to partner with other churches who have that same desire. And one thing we struggle with in Lake County, and I, look, this has been a problem since I was a kid. We do a terrible job of partnering with other churches. We, we do. We, we don't partner with each other, with our, even our sister Baptist churches, to share the gospel with our communities. Listen, we are all on the same team. We are. We are not competing. We're not competing with the church over there, over there, over this way, everywhere. We're not competing with our sister churches. We are all on the same team with a common goal, seeing the gospel spread among our communities, but yet somehow we struggle to act like it. Maybe it's because maybe even us as Madden Baptist Church struggle to reach our own community with the gospel. I just want to be real with that for a moment. Maybe we struggle with that as well. Nevertheless, our partnership with sister churches is necessary because the collective resources will help drive us to do more for the kingdom of God. Partner with one another. Partner with other churches. Use one another. Encourage one another to hold each other accountable. I told you there was a third point. You have your personal preparation. You have your corporate preparation. But there's another thing that you need to prepare for. Then I think we really struggle with this. So this might hit home a little bit. Prepare to count the cost. Prepare to count the cost. Look at what Paul says in verse 18. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. It's that second sentence. Remember my chains. Paul is showing the believers that there is a cost to spreading the gospel. He makes note of that in verse 3. Go back to verse 3. See if you caught it. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul is in prison for sharing the gospel. He is not there because he broke some silly law. He's not there because he stole something or he hurt somebody. No, he is in prison because he shared the gospel. Paul laid it all out on the line because spreading the gospel 
is more important to him than his safety, his freedom, and even his own life. That was Paul. And we don't fully understand this because we've never really had to count the cost, at least on this level. Right? You, you haven't had to count the cost on this type of level. We don't really know what it's like to be a Christian and forsake everything. Maybe even for, uh, forsaking our own family. Some people have had to. I've seen it. I've seen a young man have to... He wanted to be a believer. But to be a believer, he had to admit that all his family who were Buddhists could not go to heaven. Forsaken that. Because they had already passed. Man... Talk about counting the cost. We don't know what it's like to proclaim Christ and be thrown in jail. We don't know what it's like to proclaim Christ and be considered an outcast. Our persecution is simply this fear of losing our rights. We've had that fear for years. We haven't lost our rights, at least not at this point. We're here, aren't we? But that fear of being persecuted and losing our rights is driving us away from even making a mention of Jesus. How can we say we want to be followers of Jesus, but yet we're not willing to go to the places Jesus needs to be heard? Think about that for a moment. How can we say we are followers of Jesus if we won't go to the places that Jesus needs to be heard? How can we say we want to be followers of Jesus, but yet we're not willing to lay it all on the line for the sake of the gospel? Church, we are too comfortable in our freedoms, our complacency, and our apathy. We are. Paul was thrown into prison for the gospel. We know John was thrown into exile for his faith. We know the church that James wrote to was dispersed due to persecution. And even Jesus was not living a life of comfort during his time on the earth. Matthew chapter 8, 18 through 20 says this. When Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This scribe says, I will follow you, Jesus. He's having that camp high we used to talk about during the summer. He was having that moment. He's just like on fire for the Lord. I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. And then Jesus gives him the first First, kill the climb. You may want to follow me, but just know I don't know where I'm going to lay my head tonight. And I won't know for the rest of my time on this earth. Jesus didn't know what, where he was going to spend the night. He knew it wasn't going to be places of comfort. Are you willing to follow Jesus? If you're not going to stay in a nice hotel or come back home to your comfort. Church, our comfort of living in America has been our downfall. And I love America. I love this country. But it has been to our detriment. Because persecution is limited. And most people at least know about the church. Especially in the Bible Belt. And at one point it seemed like evangelism wasn't even our greatest need. Because everybody was showing up to church. Everybody was filling up the doors. We didn't have to go evangelize. Everybody knew what the door was. But today, because of that mentality, we're behind. Two-thirds of Mississippi don't go to church. You get that. Roughly 66% 
of our state does not go to church. 66% of our state is not at church today. And 75% of our state doesn't even believe Jesus is the only way to salvation. Even though Jesus clearly said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But 75% of our state doesn't believe that. Don't even believe the words of Christ. Church, that's on us. Because we have failed to spread the gospel. We failed to get of our comforts, our daily routines, and our selfishness. We failed to care for our neighbors. Listen, church, we failed. Many are busting the gates of hell wide open, and it doesn't seem to bother us. Think about that. People are busting the gates of hell wide open, and it doesn't seem to bother us. Do we even care? Do we even care that the lost are found? Church, as a believer in Jesus, we want to see lives saved. Because if Jesus saves me, I want everybody to be saved. Because I believe Jesus can save anybody. He can save anyone in this room today that is not saved. And I want to see that happen because I know the power of Jesus Christ. But we don't live our lives that way. Get over yourself. Get over your precious time that you have to fill up with so much junk and actually care about the lost. Actually care that there are many in our own community today that if they died, they would suffer in hell for all eternity. We should care. God has given us a responsibility to spread the gospel. And we have struggled, church. We've struggled personally. We've struggled corporately. And we've struggled all wide. We have to do better. So what I want us to do in this time of response is this. However you feel led to respond, do so. But I would say this. Repent. Repent. Repent of your apathy toward the lost. Repent of caring more about your own comfort than the salvation of others. Recognize where we have failed in sharing the gospel and plead with the Lord today that he would give you an opportunity to share the gospel this week. Maybe today you're not a Christian and you don't know much about this gospel. I'm going to put it to you this way. Jesus Christ came to this earth. And he died for our sins. Why did he have to die? Because we are sinners. We're all sinners. And somebody had to die for it. There is a death penalty for sin. And Jesus Christ came and died for that for us. He took our place on the cross for us. And he didn't stay dead though. He resurrected from it to defeat that penalty. And for those who are saved, they will live in eternity with him. But how can I be saved? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you will be saved. Now you may say, I just don't think God can save me. Well, you go a few verses from that last verse that says what? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if today you're not a Christian and you want to be a Christian, today you can be saved. But if you are a Christian, I'm going to call on you to repent. I'm going to call on you to repent where we have failed to share the gospel with others. Where we have been consumed with our own lives and not seen the needs around us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for 
your word. But God, seeing what Paul went through to share the gospel, God, that should just stick us deep to our core. Of how much that we just were too comfortable, God. You've tried to get our attention in so many ways, and then we just somehow go back to the comfort. And God, we're not doing it. It starts with me as a church, God. It starts with me as the pastor. Help me, God, to lead the way you've called me to lead so that the gospel will be spread throughout this community. But God, may we all, wherever we live, wherever we work, wherever we're going this week, God, give us, please, the opportunity to share the gospel, to help those who need to be saved. God, if there's anyone here who needs to be saved, I pray today that they would, they would come to know you as their Savior. That they would accept the salvation that you have brought to us through Jesus. God, and we thank you for Jesus and his willingness to die for our sins. God, help us to respond. Help us to repent and forgive us, God, where we have failed you. And it's in your son's holy and righteous name that I pray. Amen.